Hello and welcome to the final episode of the second series of Future Thinking. This time around, we have run the full gamut of topics from Gen Y's job switching to the limits of corporate culture to the golden age of hedge funds. For this final episode, I spoke with Josh Jacobson, Chief Operating Officer at Cheney Capital, and a man who is a strong advocate of the need for continued performance coaching. Leaning on many examples from the world of sport, Josh discusses why fund managers stand to benefit from a degree of introspection and willingness to hone their skills. However, it's not all plain sailing. As Josh explains, there are still those who believe their ability should go unchallenged, which is a difficulty to overcome for managers and the people who manage them in turn. I would like to thank all the guests who took part in this series, and you can listen back to all of them on citywireselector.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you also to the listener. I look forward to bringing you another series later this year. So if you have any suggestions for guests, please do get in contact. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Future Thinking with me, Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Selector. We hear a lot about data in the industry at the moment and how it's being used and also how it's not perhaps being tapped into to aid the actual performance of fund managers. So that's what we're going to talk about today is performance and coaching of fund managers themselves. I'm joined by Josh Jacobson, the Chief Investment Officer for Equities at Cheney Capital. Josh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for the invite. You got in contact because we've been speaking and uh, it's an interesting area, this idea of how you continue to improve a fund manager. Because I mean, personally, dealing with fund managers, you tend to think they're sort of the complete article. But I suppose it's like anything where it's an exercise where there can be improvements and advancements. And that's what we're going to get into today. Because rewinding slightly, I saw you wrote a piece in 2017, which looked at the questions that fund managers don't want to be asked. So we're going to start with a bit of introspection. You asked at the time it was about um, you should focus as a a fund selector on their acumen, their timing, their selling discipline and the position sizes. It's now 2021. Have many of those questions evolved or changed over time? And are we asking fund managers the right questions? Yeah, I think um, the questions have definitely evolved over time. And I I think it's like with anything where you're trying to enhance performance that you want to involve your your process. So if I just give you an example of one of those around the selling discipline, one of the things that's evolved um, since writing that article is the ability for us using Novus, which is a portfolio intelligence platform software. Uh, we are able now to split up an analyst or a PM's investments by holding period, for example. And one of the things that we look at that leads us to a bunch of questions is the holding periods, and we can divide that up by shorts and longs. So one example I give you is one of the PMs, when I broke down their holding periods on the short side, we saw that there was some detraction from performance on the shorts that they've held for a long time. So then you ask the question, okay, why is that? We dig into it. Now, the PM on those positions had a good hit rate. They got more calls right than they got wrong. But then when we looked at the win-loss ratio, which is the average basis points contribution of a winner divided by the average basis points contribution of a loser, that was a really poor number. So what was happening there is they were holding the shorts for a very long time. So when we asked the question why, typically the answer had been, there had been some event around the position let's say it was an adverse earnings release and the the position moved against them significantly. And then the PM didn't want to take it off right away, so held it to try and cover better levels, but it just led to a slow drip of performance on that particular position. And what that is, is the identification of very common behavioral bias, which is loss aversion. 
where we hate losing two and a half times more than we hate winning. Hence, we tend to run our losers longer than we'll hold our winners. So that's one of the ways that the questioning has evolved through further analytics. One thing we've seen over that time phrase, time frame as well, sorry, is is the amount of data has increased. And I mentioned this in, in the notes we shared beforehand that fund managers seem to have more access to data than ever before. And also the people analyzing them do. So are we in, effectively in an arms race over who's using it more effectively? I would say most definitely we're in an arms race. And our, I think probably since the beginning of finance, you know, financial markets, you could say we've been in an arms race. For sure, since the beginning of my career, we've been in this sort of data arms race, which has accelerated dramatically with the advent of you know, the internet, faster connectivity, much higher processing power, which allows for analytics of vast data sets on a, on a real-time basis. And there's that off-quoted um, stat that sort of around 90% of the data in the world has been created in the last three years. So it's it's absolutely, in my mind, a, a data arms race and, and Cheney and, and everyone who wants to succeed in the markets need to evolve with it. A great example of that is, is ESG. Now the principle of social investing has been around for, you know, it's in its roots for centuries, but until sort of the middle of uh, around 2006, we really had the ESG um, come to the fore, and now it has evolved into a, a whole new industry that is focused on providing data around ESG um, criteria, and that's an area of intense focus for Cheney, and not only are listed but are are unlisted um, products where we focus on either uh, public equities or private investments, and it's a, it's complicated because we need to figure out. Uh, as an industry, how to identify the things we want to monitor, evaluate them, set uh, benchmarks for industries, and then also look at portfolios on an individual investment level and be able to roll that up to score an entire portfolio and track the evolution over time. It's a, it's a complex problem, but it's worthy uh, you know, to solve. So Cheney are intensely focused on it. But that's just one example of, of a data set that's evolved over time and is clearly at the forefront of fund managers' minds right now. Without moving from what is a complex area to an overly simplistic question, hopefully, you previously talked about that there being three types of data in an overarching sense. There's input data, there's output data, and there's investment decision data. How much does what you've just said about ESG feed into the investment decision data aspect of things? And I suppose how important is that to gain an edge? It's a really good question. So we're evolving our processes around incorporating ESG uh, data into the front end of the process. And it, it varies right now from product to product, but it's becoming you know right up front in the investment process, for example, in our strategic value credit fund. That is like before we even evaluate a deal, we're digging into ESG criteria and what would this look like? And in the initial screening process, we're kicking out a lot of stuff that, say, 10 years ago, we probably would have looked at. So it's incredibly important data. I mean, I speak to fund selectors, and their job on a day-to-day -day basis is to do that due diligence. How much are people looking internally? And I remember having listened to you speak previously, you talked about it being like a Formula One garage where they're not actually looking at the race, they're looking at the car. Right. How much are fund, man fund houses looking at their own fund managers as much as they are looking at the returns they're generating? It's a, it's a really good question. Everybody's um, in 
this industry is clearly focused on returns. So they focus on return data, which first blush makes a lot of sense, right? Because if you don't generate the returns in this business, you perish. So that makes sense. But I'd take a step back and say, well, when you look at the different types of data, you have return data, you have input data, and you have investment decision data. I think the most important data is the data that you can control. And there's only one area of data you can control there. That's the investment decision data, which generates the output, which is the output data. So I think that it's critical for any asset manager to be very focused on the investment decision data. And in terms of your question about how how many asset managers in the industry are focused on it, I would say not very many. The reason I come to that conclusion is from allocator questions that we get, and also just from speaking to other people in the industry, portfolio managers, et cetera, and the data that they're provided from internally and what they get is not a lot of data typically around the investment decisions. It's more about the output. One thing that has just jumped into my head is because this idea of, of coaching and coaching performance, it seems to be very much a sport-linked idea. Is that where you got the idea to, to start doing this more? Are there parallels with the sporting world beyond Formula One? Because I say that because we've seen cycling has added marginal gains. I mean, Liverpool had a throw-in coach to try and get an edge on things. Is this just another area to gain an edge and how much is informed by sport? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's not, I would sort of broaden it out not just from sport, but any kind of performance activity. So you could think grandmaster of chess, you could think concert pianist, you know. So it's any performance activity almost across the world. You, if, if it's a high performance activity, you can find an identifi- identifiable support set behind that activity, right? Even world-class opera singers will have a voice coach, yeah? So in the asset management industry, which is without a doubt a performance industry, right? It's very strange that there's not a very clearly delineated support and coaching mechanism typically in in firms that is constantly sitting there trying to help and support the PM and enhance performance and squeeze as much juice as you can out of the lump. Do you think there would be any pushback from fund managers? I know a handful that I've spoken to, I'm not going to tire everybody with the same brush, are very confident in their own abilities. Do you think there would be any sort of pushback against being internally analyzed as well as having to face up to the scrutiny of external investors? It's a great question. When I was doing my consulting and coaching prior to returning to Cheney in 2015, I had a very interesting meeting with uh, the chief investment officer of a Swiss investment bank. And they have a raft of portfolio managers there. The meeting was scheduled for 45 minutes. It went an hour and a half. And we just had a great conversation. At the end of it, this gentleman said, you know, I really love what you're doing. I, th- I think it's fantastic. And it's probably the way forward in, in fund management. He said, but it would never work here. I thought, what, what a strange thing to say. Why is that? He said, because a lot of fund managers would be fu- found out and they wouldn't stand for it. That's interesting. He means found out as in their, their process would be in some way undermined or, or, or pulled apart to the point of not being workable. Yeah, or, or their performance was suboptimal. You know, they, they'd sort of been doing the job, but kind of in a mediocre fashion. So just picking up on that point, how many firms do you think are currently using this sort of performance coaching? 
It's a really good question and one that I've been discussing recently with uh, uh, one of our partners, Novus. The, the CEO there is Andrea Gentilini, who wanted to augment some of the deep dive data analytics and became a performance coach himself for some of their key clients. And so he has broad experience across the industry. And he and I estimate that there's probably less than 5% of asset managers that are deploying some kind of performance coaching augmented with data uh, in the industry. And how will that change? Do you see people being aware of this and being able to adapt to it? Or do you think people are still slightly, I mean, this sorry, this touched upon a point that we made earlier, but do you still think that companies are less willing to adopt this? I think as it, as it gets more difficult to uh, for active uh, managers to achieve performance, you're going to try and do everything you can to optimize and maximize your performance opportunity. So there should be a natural shift towards understanding the investment, the decision data around the investments you're making. And a natural uh, corollary to that is getting somebody involved who can help improve the process and the decisions. So I do think it will evolve. I don't know if you watched it here in the UK, we had the program Line of Duty, where you had uh, the internal affairs within the police who are always treated with an element of suspicion because their their job is to try and find, I'm not saying corruption in that sense, but it is sort of that internal analysis. And there does seem to be that sort of reticence to to take that on board. And that's why I use the term, you know, sponges versus stones. This only applies to sponges. And sponges are people who strive to improve. They believe in constant learning. The people reading new ways uh, to look at their investment process and identify behavioral biases and make enhancements. Stones are people who think uh, their talent is God-given. It's kind of almost set at birth. And there's not a lot you can do with the stones. Uh, but there's a lot you can do with people who are sponges and want to continually improve. I would argue, because I, I did mention this in the notes, this, this sponges versus stones idea, because historically the asset management industry has been home to big names, big personalities, and they tend to to garner a lot of interest. We have still got, as much as we're trying to move away from it, a, a sort of star manager culture. Do you think it would also be tough for investors as much as the fund managers to adopt this change? Because like you said, if you do end up with fund managers who are shown not to be as effective, do you think that could be problematic and investors would rather just have somebody they know and sounds good than somebody who is completely analyzed out of existence? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I guess you've got a couple things going on and you're talking about the allocator side now. And I think there's there's a tendency to go towards big names. And we did see that quite a bit where you had the concentration of assets allocated going to the largest fund managers. And there's probably at least kind of three identifiable reasons for that. Uh, one of which I would say is kind of fear of the job. So it's easier for you know, job safety. It's easier for an allocator to go with a, a very common household name everybody's going with, right? So the analogy would be if you're a CTO, you decide to run Microsoft as an operating system in your office is a very safe bet, right? Then the second factor I would think is critical mass. So size begets size. And sometimes there's good reasons behind it for allocators who are so big, they have to write a meaningful ticket Otherwise, it just doesn't move the dial for them. So they can't invest in funds below a certain AUM. And then the third factor, which we've seen uh, in the US with some very prominent funds, 
such as ARC, is hurting. And that's becoming more commonplace as people are, are, are really flocking towards these sort of high-profile names that get uh, tons of media and, and press coverage. I'm fascinated by ARC because it seems to come up in whatever conversation I have at the moment, we seem to end up on ARC in some fashion. And I think um, Kathy Woods has been never been so prominent, but I think there is an instance where somebody is now being unbelievably scrutinised from all angles. I know Morningstar's put out a quite um, rigorous analysis of her her performance, her her investment philosophy, and also the depth of experience of her analyst base. So I was just going to finish by asking, how far do you see this spreading? Will we end up with people analyzing every aspect of the investment chain? So not just the fund manager, but the analysts around them, and even yourself. Could there be somebody coming in to analyze the performance of a CIO for equities? One, one thing for, for certain is there's an unrelenting push for further uh, transparency. Uh, from AUMs to allocators. So I don't see that uh, declining anytime soon. So yeah, I think there is going to be a, a constant push towards that. I don't see it going away. Josh, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you.